Today, uh, we're going to continue our summer series, and we've been talking about the power of why, and I just really want to encourage you, if you haven't uh, kind of tuned into this message, uh, go on Facebook on the website and check out the first two. We're going to kind of jump right in today as we've been talking about the why of Liberty Church, and last week we talked a little bit about why Celebrate Recovery, and we really just kind of broke down the heartbeat uh, behind that ministry. Today, uh, we're going to talk about the why of worship. Uh, because at Liberty, we have what we call the seven pillars of Liberty, which are really seven foundational ministries that really define who we are and what we do as a church. And as I shared with you last week, five are very common and two are kind of a little unique, and Celebrate Recovery was one of those unique ministries. But worship is definitely one of those common ministries that most churches have worship, right? They have a worship service. And as we kind of talk about worship today, uh, that's kind of what we're really talking about. When we talk about the pillars, pillar of worship and how worship is really fundamental to the life and to the body uh, of believers as Christians, what we're really talking about is our corporate worship services. And we're going to do a couple things today. Uh, we're going to talk about what is worship. We're going to give you a, a very solid, I really believe, workable definition of what worship is that will apply to your daily life. Uh, we're going to talk about how do we worship when we come together on Sunday morning, because everything that happens in this sanctuary is strategic and on purpose. Uh, we actually do things, not perfectly, but we do things purposely uh, to create an atmosphere where we can invite not only the presence of God, but in His presence we can be changed and transformed into the image and likeness of Jesus Christ. And then last but not least, uh, we're going to talk about the why of worship. And I thought I'd just do a little something funny this morning. I'm going to show you all something since we're talking about worship. Uh, these are my Stephen Allison socks that he gave me as a Christmas gift this last year. It actually has his face on it, and uh, so if you want to order some of these, I think they're $19.99 online or something. I'm not real sure, but uh, anyway, the weirdest Christmas gift I ever got was a pair of socks with Stephen's face on it, so I wore them to... Uh, make fun of him today, to be honest with you. So, all right, so let's talk about worship this morning. Genesis chapter 22, uh, verses 1 through 6. You might think that's a funny place to go to talk about worship to the book of Genesis. But what's exciting about the book, the word worship in the Scripture, uh, there is a principle in, in, buddy, in Bible study that's called the principle of first mention, which basically says this, the first time a word is mentioned in the Bible is kind of a strategic uh, time for that word. It actually says that's the precedence of what that word is going to mean throughout scriptures. And so the first time the word worship is actually used in the Bible is found in Genesis chapter 22. And so we're going to kind of read that together today. So the Bible says sometime later, God tested Abraham's faith. Abraham, God called. Yes, he replied, here I am. Take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love so much, and go to the land of Moriah. Go and sacrifice him as a burnt offering in one of the mountains, which I will show you. And the next morning, Abraham got up early. He saddled his donkey, took two of his servants with him, along with his son Isaac. And then he chopped wood for a fire for a burnt offering, and he set out for the place God had told him about. And on the third day of their journey, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. Stay here with the donkey, Abraham told the servants. The boy and I will travel a little further, and here it is, and we will worship there. And then we will come right back. So Abraham placed the wood for the burnt offering on Isaac's shoulders while he himself carried the fire and the knife, and the two of them walked on together. Let's just stop right there for a second. And the Bible says of Abraham that the him and Isaac were going to go up on the mountain to 
worship, right? And what's interesting about the word worship in the Bible is the word from the Old Testament to the New Testament doesn't really change. There are some, some consistent themes that are interwoven throughout Scripture when it comes to the word worship, and we're going to see that today as we kind of dive into it. But what I want you to recognize, first of all, from this Scripture is that the first worship service that ever happened had nothing to do with songs or singing. As a matter of fact, worship is not a song. Worship is not a song. Can we worship God through a song? Absolutely, and we're going to talk about that this morning. But what I want you to see is that worship is not a song. Worship is really a lifestyle of how we live our lives. If you want to be really specific, the first worship instruments presented in the Bible was wood, fire, and a knife, and a lamb that ultimately would be sacrificed on the hill. That's what worship looks like. So I want to give you a definition of worship. Look at that next point on your outline. So what is worship? The word worship literally from Genesis to Revelations has this consistent theme. The word literally means to bow down. The word means to bend over. The word means to serve. The word also means to kiss the feet and catch this. I love this little definition of worship. The word worship literally means to lick the hand like the dog licks the hand of its master. So for all you dog lovers, every time your dog licks your hand, the Bible calls that worship. That's literally what the word worship means in Scripture. It means to bow down, to bend over, to serve, to kiss the feet, and to lick the hand of your master. That's worship. So I, I just kind of put together what I believe is a very workable definition from the Scripture. And here's what we've said if you look at the screen. So what is worship? Worship is a posture of our heart and our lives that bows in the presence of God and acknowledges that He is God. I don't know if you figured this out yet, but you're not God. Amen? I'm not God. You're not God. And as we sung a while ago, there is only one who is worthy of our worship, and His name is Jesus. Amen? God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, they are worthy of worship. And apart from God, there is none that are worthy of worship. So when we worship, what are we really doing? We are bowing in His presence. We are acknowledging that He is God, that He is our Savior, that He is our Redeemer, that He is our Lord. We are bending to His will. Worship is about bending and submitting my will to the will of the Father. And then we're serving God's purpose. As a matter of fact, worship is really a response to God's presence. When God shows up, you'll find out there was always something exciting that happened. People fell at his feet. People fell at his feet. People fell at his feet. Why? Because when God shows up, you bow. When God shows up, you bend. And when God shows up, you offer your life as service unto his glory and unto his honor. And that is what worship Worship is all about. Worship is bowing, bending, and serving the God of gods, the King of kings, and the Lord of lords. That's what worship is all about. It's about a lifestyle of worship. So, if that's what worship is, then how do we worship? Let's talk about this. Let's talk about what our corporate worship services look like because, again, I want you to see something. I want you to see that everything that we do on a Sunday morning worship service is strategic and purposeful to create bowing, bending, and serving. 
to get us to bow to his presence, to bend to his will, and serve his purpose. Why? Let me just say it like this. It doesn't matter how good you can sing. It doesn't matter how loud you shout. And it doesn't matter how long you can dance. If you're not bowing, bending, and serving, you're not worshiping. If you're not bowing, bending, and serving, you're not worshiping. I don't care how good you sing. I don't care how loud you shout. And I don't care how much you can dance. If you're not bowing, bending, and serving, you're not worshiping. We've all seen people, if you've been around church for any amount of time, we've all seen people that want to hoop, holler, jump, and shout on Sunday morning so everybody's looking at them. And nothing wrong with hoop, holler, and shout. Let's take all we can get, amen? But how many of you understand, if all I do is hoop and holler and shout on Sunday, and I don't bow, bend, and serve on Monday, then I'm not worshiping. Because worship never draws its attention to me. Worship always projects its attention to God. That's worship. Worship puts all the focus on the one who is worthy, never on yourself. Amen? So how do we worship? I, I just identified eight things that we specifically, strategically do on a regular basis here at Liberty Church in our Sunday morning worship services. We gather we give, we praise, we pray, we minister, we share, we preach and teach, and we go unto all the world. How do we worship? Well, that's how we do it. Those are kind of the eight things that we do consistently here as a church when we gather together and worship. And what I want you to see real quickly this morning is that our Sunday morning worship services are really a microcosm of what our lives should look like. And I've been wanting to say that word microcosm, so. It means a miniature version. It's a miniature version of what our lives should look like. When we come together for an hour and 15 minutes on Sunday morning, what we're actually doing is we are getting a model, a microcosm, a miniature version of what our lives should look like 24-7, 365 days a year. Every Sunday when you gather or any time we gather for worship, what you're actually doing is you are getting a model and a portrait of a miniature version of what your life and my life should look like 24-7, 365 days days a year. The corporate worship service is a representation of what our lives should look like every single day. So let's talk about the why of worship. Why do we do the things we do when we gather to worship? So why do we gather? Amen. Look at that next point. Why do we gather? Why do we gather? Well, we gather so we can bow, we gather so we can bend, and we gather so we can serve, right? We gather to grow, right? We gather to grow. The word ecclesia is the Greek word for the church, and we've talked about this not too long ago in another series that we did, and we said the church, the ecclesia, literally is the ones that assemble. The word ecclesia means assembling together, gathering together. Right? You can be a believer by yourself, but you can't be the church by yourself because the church is the assembling. It's the gathering together of the saints. And when we gather together, guess what happens? We grow. We grow. When we gather, we grow. When we gather, we bow. See, this morning, you bowed to the Lordship of Jesus Christ when you got up on a Sunday morning at 930 and decided to come to church instead of go fishing. 
You bowed to the Lordship of Jesus Christ this morning. When you got up and decided you weren't going to go back to bed and sleep late, when you got up and decided you weren't going to mow the grass, you were going to go to church, you know what you did this morning? You worshiped. Just by walking in the doors this morning, you made a decision, I'm going to bow my life to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, and I'm going to gather together because gathering is worship. Because when we gather, we bow. When we gather, we bend, right? You bent your will today to the will of God. It's God's will that we gather. It's God's will that we come together. It's God's will that we assemble in the name of Jesus Christ. And this morning, you bent your will to God's will. And that's worship. And not only did you bow and not only did you bend, but you actually served God this morning. Because when you came together, all of a sudden, your presence connected with my presence, connected with his presence, began to make a difference in every presence in this room. All of a sudden, every one of us brought something together this morning that each of us desperately need from one another. Look what Ephesians says. It says, instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. And he makes the whole body fit together perfectly as each part does its own special work. It helps the other parts to grow. When each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts to grow. You and I gathering together and then doing the things God has called us to do, serving together, living together, honoring God together. All of a sudden, we empower each other to grow. We help each other grow. I need what you got. You need what I got. And together, we need each other. And it is the will of God, hear me today, that we grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. And I want to be very bold. And for those of you watching online, I want to to encourage you in this. You will never grow to the fullness of the stature of what God has intended you to be apart from the body of Christ. It won't happen. Because disconnected members... Stop growing. Right? If you cut off your finger, your body will still grow, but your finger won't. Why? Because disconnected members will not grow. In order for the body to grow, it has to gather together. It has to stay connected. And so as we gather, guess what we do? We worship. Look at that next part. Why do we give? Why do we give? We give to worship, right? We give to bow, to bend, and to serve. We give to honor God and to advance His kingdom in the earth. Proverbs 3, 19, uh, Proverbs 3, 9 and 10 says this, Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the best part of everything you produce, and then your barns will be filled with grain and your vats will overflow with wine. Malachi 3, 10 says, Bring all the tithes into the storehouse that there may be food in my house, and try me now in this, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open to you the windows of heaven and pour out on you such blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it. Why do we give? We give to worship. Because when we, when we give, we honor God. The Scripture says, honor God with your wealth, with the best part of your increase, and then your your barns will be filled with plenty, and your vats will overflow with new wine. And then you'll be blessed. I want you to understand something this morning. When we give, you know what you're doing when you're giving? You're bowing. You're bowing to God when you give. Every time you give, you bow. And this is what you do when you bow. You bow and you say, God, I acknowledge that you're my provider, not my job. You're my source, not my money. You're the one that takes care of me, not the government. When you bow, when you give, you bow. 
And when you give, you bend. You bend your will, right? You bend your will to the will of God. Let me tell you what the will of God is for your life. The will of God for your life is that you would prosper and be in health even as thy soul prospers, the Scripture says. God wants you to prosper and be in health. Understand, tithing and giving is not God trying to get something from you. See, people are so deceived and think, well, all the church wants is my money. No, God doesn't want your money. God wants to bless your life. God wants to bless you, and when you give, you bend to the will of God because it's the will of God that you prosper and be in health, and God's system of financial prosperity is found in giving. In order to prosper, you give. In order to prosper, you give. In order to prosper, you give. In order to prosper, you give, and it's upside down and backwards from the world, right? And everybody that's ever tested God, Malachi 3 actually tells us to test God in this, everybody that's ever tested God in this has come out on the other side with this testimony. For some reason, right, here's what we say, for some reason when I kept all my money I could never pay all the bills and now I gave 10% to God and honored the Lord with my tithe and now I can do more with 90 than I could do with 100. Everybody that truly trusts trusts, trusts the Lord and tests God in this area, everybody comes back with the same testimony. I can do more with 90 than I could with 100. Why? Because you're bending to the will of God. That's worship. That's worship. And not only are you bending to the will of God, you're serving the purposes of God. In Malachi 3, God says, bring all the tithes in my storehouse that there may be food in my house. See, the tithe is the provision for the vision. The fact that 21 years later that we're still here, guys, is because over the last 21 years, there have been a lot of people that have given generously and cheerfully to the work of the kingdom of God. And we're here today, not still meeting in a storefront building on Main Street like we were 21 years ago, but we're here today in an amazing facility with amazing opportunity to continue to reach our world with the gospel of Jesus Christ because somebody worshiped. They bowed and honored God as their provider. They bent their will to the will of God to provide for them through tithing and giving. And they served God's purpose through their worship and their obedience. That's worship. Why do we give? It's worship. It bows, it bends, and it causes our hearts to serve His purposes. Why do we praise? Why do we praise God? To give thanks for what He has done and to celebrate who He is. Hebrews 13, 15 says, Therefore by Him, speaking of Jesus, let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of our lips giving thanks to His name. Why do we praise? Because when we praise, we give thanks for what He has done and we celebrate who He is. And let me just say this to you real quickly. Praise is verbal. It's the fruit of our lips giving thanks to God. You can thank God in your head, but you can't praise God unless you open your mouth. I'm going to say it again. You can thank God in your head, but you can't praise God unless you open your mouth. Praise is the fruit of our lips. The Bible says, let everything that hath breath praise the Lord. And we give thanks to God. Why do we praise God? Why do we sing songs of praise? Why do we have a worship team? Why do we do all the stuff that we do up here on this stage? Because when we praise God, guess what happens? We bow. We bow. We acknowledge that He is God, that He is worthy. We thank Him. We praise Him. We celebrate Him. We honor Him. We adore Him. And we bow before Him. And we say, you're the source and you're the reason. And the only reason I'm still here, God, is because of you. 
And I want to thank you for saving me, and thank you for forgiving me, and thank you for redeeming me. And that's what we do when we praise God. We're offering thanksgiving to God, and we're celebrating who He is. But not only are we bowing to Him through praise, but we're bending our will to Him. I don't know if you've real, realized this about our modern culture today. We are a very self-centered, self-promoting, selfie society, right? And everybody wants to be famous, and everybody wants to be known, and everybody is click, 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 and click, 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 and click, 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 and I'm Instagramming, and I'm Snapchatting, and I'm Facebooking, and I'm all this stuff because you need to see me because I'm important because I ate a peanut butter and jelly sandwich for supper last night. Look at my sandwich. Right? Click, click, click. I even told our 8 o'clock service, I said, they, they, the 8 o'clock is our older service. I said, y'all have already caught the bug. I said, we know y'all are taking selfies because half your face is always cut out of them. You wonder how do the kids get everybody in that one little selfie? It's like, bam, we got 20 people in there. How'd they do that? Because that's all they do. Chica, chica, chica. Why does praise, why is praise worship? Praise bows. But here I want you to see this. Praise bends your will to the will of God. It causes your selfish will to say, stop looking at me and start looking at him. It's, it causes your selfish will to bend and say, I don't want to be famous. I want to make God famous. That's what praise does. It bends our wills. It says, don't look at me, look at him. Don't listen to me, listen to him. Don't celebrate me, celebrate him. Look at him, look at him, look at him, look at him, look at him. That's worship. Look at me, look at me, look at me is not. So when we praise we bow when we praise, we bend. And when we praise, we serve his purposes. The Psalms has said this, O God, thou art holy, who, who inhabits the praises of your people. The word inhabit literally means to be enthroned upon our praises. Everybody in this room can probably agree with this one statement right here. We all believe that God's presence changes everything. And when we praise God, we serve his purposes. How? Because it invites his presence. It invites his presence. And I'm convinced, Holy Spirit gave this to me this morning. He said, Keith, do you realize most families don't need family counseling? They need family praise. Most marriages don't need marriage counseling. They need marriage praise. Most people don't need, uh, uh, don't need antidepressants. They need personal praise. See, right now, what's happening is if you'll praise God, God will inhabit the praises of his people. And what would happen if you got your family together and we spent 30 minutes praising Jesus together? i tell you what would happen. The glory of God would fill that living room. The glory of God would fill your bedroom. The glory of God would fill your house. And God would do in a moment what a lifetime of counseling would never accomplish. It serves the purpose of God. When we praise, why do we praise? Because when we praise, we bow, we bend, and we serve. Look at that next point. Why do we pray? We pray to connect, to invite, and to ask God into our lives. 
Matthew 14, 23 says, And when he, speaking of Jesus, had sent the multitudes away, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. And now when evening had come, he was alone there. Mark eleven twenty four says, I can tell you, you can pray for anything, and if you believe that you've received it, it will be yours. Philippians 4, 6 says, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank Him for all He has done. Why do we pray? Because when we pray, here's what happens. We actually do bow. <laughs> I said it earlier. Let's bow our heads. Right? When we pray, do you have to pray with your head bowed? Absolutely not. Can you pray with your eyes wide open driving down the road? You better. But there's something about prayer that causes us literally to bow. And all of a sudden, when I bow and I begin to acknowledge that He is God, that He is good, that He is the source, that everything I need can be found solely and completely in Him, that He is large and He is in charge, and I am able through Him to meet and receive everything that I could ever need. Through prayer, I acknowledge, God, You're the solution, and most of the time I'm the problem, and if we don't work together, I'm in trouble. And through prayer, we connect with God. There's intimacy. We bow and we connect. Through prayer, I want you to see this, we bend to the will of God. We bend to His will. Because per, let me hear, let me say this The purpose of prayer is not to get God to do your will. The purpose of prayer is to get your heart in sync with God's will. Jesus taught us how to pray. Do you remember how he taught us how to pray? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus said the purpose of prayer is not to get your will done by God in heaven, but to get God's will done in heaven on earth through you. See, through prayer we bend our will to the will of God. Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane said, Nevertheless, Father, not my will, but thy will be done. Through prayer, not only do we bow, not only do we bend, and we hope somebody's okay up there that fell, sounding like that, but we serve. We serve God's purposes. John Wesley, one of my favorite uh, men in history, founder of the Methodist Church, he made this statement. He says, God does nothing except an answer to prayer. Everything that God does, God does in the earth as a result of people praying. See, when we pray, we invite God into every circumstance and situation, and we ask Him to do what we could never do. And through prayer, we serve God's purposes. See, we serve the purposes of God. Strongholds are broken. Chains are ripped off people's lives. Through prayer, we release the glory of God into the earth, and we bring His will from heaven, and we manifest it down here on earth through our prayers. And prayer serves the purpose of God because it advances His kingdom in the hearts and lives of people. Look at that next point. Why do we minister? Why do we have a prayer team that comes up? Why do we pray for one another? Why do we prophesy over one another? Why do we anoint people with oil? Why do we lay hands on people? Why do we do all those things? I'm going to tell you why. To release the gifts and the anointing of the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 12 says there are different kinds of spiritual gifts, but the same Spirit is the source of them all. There are different kinds of service, but we serve the same Lord. God works in different ways, but it's the same God who does the work in all of us. And a spiritual gift is given to each of us so we can help each other. Why do we minister? Because when we minister, we worship. 
We bow to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. We bow and submit our lives to the gifts and the calling of God that is upon us. We bend our will to the will of God. How many know it's the will of God that people be saved, set free, and made whole? It's the will of God that the chains of bondage be broken. It's the will of God that every addiction be destroyed. It is the will of God that marriages be restored, that lives be put back together. It is the will of God. And when we minister to people, when we pray for people, encourage people, comfort people, counsel people, prophesy over people, anoint people, all the things that we call ministry, we're releasing the gifts of God that are within us. Why? Because we're submitting our will. We're bending our will to serve God's purpose. Because whether you know it or not, you're a minister. You're a minister of the gospel. And God has given you spiritual gifts to help other people. That's why we got to gather, and that's how we grow, because we minister to one another. And a, a Christian that's not ministering, hear me, is not worshiping. There's an area of your life that you're not bowing, and you're not bending, and you're not serving God. You've got a gift, and you're not using it. You've got a calling, and you're not using it. You've got an anointing, and you're not using it. And so why do we minister? Why do we make time? Why do we do encounters? Why do we create special events and special seasons for different things to happen, to pray over people, minister to people, and all the things that we do as a church? Because ministry is worship. We bow to his lordship. We bend to his will to see the captive set free. And we serve God by releasing the gifts and the anointing that he's put within us as we reach out and help others. Why do we share? Why do we share communion? We share communion to remember. Once a month, the fourth Sunday of every month, we share communion together. Why do we share our lives? Because we're a family. 1 Corinthians 11, I'm going to read the 25th verse. Paul said this, in the same way Jesus took the cup of wine after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this to remember me as often as you drink it. Why do we share communion? To remember the finished work of Jesus Christ, to remember his death, burial, and his resurrection, to remember, hear me, that everything that needs to be done has already been done. It is finished. The price is paid. The glory has been revealed. The opportunity is now ours for the taking. By faith, we now receive everything that God has for us. And we share communion to remember that sacrifice, to remember that we have a new covenant with God, not sealed by our works and our efforts, but sealed through the blood of Jesus Christ. And his blood has purchased and redeemed us and brought us into the place of relationship with God. We remember that because how quickly we forget. How quickly we get overwhelmed by the circumstances of life and somehow we think that our problem is bigger than his blood. Somehow we think this is new, and God's never done this before. Somehow we think this is just too hard. Every time we partake of communion, we remember nothing is too hard for God. His blood paid the price. We have a brand new covenant with God. How dare we underestimate the power of his blood? So when we take of communion, we bow. We bow in honor and humility 
under the precious blood of Jesus Christ, we bend our wills to the fact that everything that needs to be done for us to receive what God wants to do in our lives has already been purchased and paid for. And then we serve his purposes by walking out the freedom and deliverance that Jesus has. How many know God's glorified when you live victoriously? There is no glory for God for you to be a defeated Christian. God is glorified when you live victoriously. And then we share our lives, right? One of, the, one of the most awesome things that happens kind of organically in our churches is all of a sudden we start worshiping together and people kind of start connecting. They start building relationships with each other and they start talking to one another. And all of a sudden we start sharing our lives and we pray and we encourage and we just open our hearts to one another. Why is that important? Why do we do that? Because we're family. And, and when, we, when we share our lives together, I want you to see this. We, we bow I want you to hear this. We bow to the fatherhood of God. How many know God's a father? And we bow to the fatherhood of God. When we share our lives together, then we bow to the fatherhood of God. And we recognize if God's our father, then we're all brothers and sisters. Right? We're family. And then we bend to the will of God because how many of you know, all you mamas can just Give me a great big yes and amen on this in just a second, okay? How many of you mamas know that the most important thing for mama is I just want all the kids to get along? And when it's Christmas or it's Thanksgiving or it's Mother's Day, this is what y'all can get me. What do you want, mama? What do you want? I just want everybody to come over, and for three hours, let's just get along. Right? Let's just, let's just get along. Because that's the will of a mama. And guess where mama got that desire? She got it from God. The will of God, how good and how pleasant it is, Psalms 133 says, for the brethren to dwell together in unity. It pleases God. And when we come together and we forgive each other and we love each other and we encourage each other and in spite of each other, we realize we're still family. It pleases God. We bend our will. I tell people all the time, if you're looking for a perfect church, don't join it. You'll mess it up. Because we're all messed up. And when you bend your will to the will of God, you realize, hey, I'm serving a perfect God, and I've been adopted into an imperfect family. And we're all just a little bit messed up. And that's okay. I'm not going to stop coming to church because I don't like you. Sometimes I didn't like my sister. Sometimes she didn't like me. When I would tell on her, she definitely didn't like it. But because we're family, we figure out what do we got to do to work through this. Because we're family, we figure out what do we got to do to stay the course. Because we're family, we figure out how we're going to press through the challenges and difficulties of all being in the same room at the same time and worshiping the same God and having the same daddy and being brothers and sisters. That's worship, guys. That's worship. Bowing, bending, serving, bowing, bending, serving. That's worship. And it's foundational to our lives. Why do we preach and teach? This is my favorite part. Don't y'all love it? <laughs> I'm just kidding. I love them all. I'm way out of time, but let me give you this as quick as I can. Why do we preach and teach? To proclaim, to prepare, and to save. 
Mark 16, 15 says, And Jesus sent them, going, said, going into all the world and preached the gospel to every creature. And the disciples went everywhere and preached. And look at the last part. And the Lord worked through them, confirming what they said, confirming what they said, confirming what they said with many miraculous signs. Why do we preach and teach the gospel of Jesus Christ? Because if we proclaim it, God will perform it. If you proclaim God heals, God will heal. If you proclaim God saves, God will save. If you proclaim God delivers, God will deliver. Whatever you proclaim, it lines up with His Word. God watches over His Word to perform it. We proclaim it, God performs it. That's why we preach, because it's worship. When we preach, guess what happens? We bow. We bow to the Lordship. We bow to the authority of the Word of God. We bend our will to God's Word. It's not what I think. It's what He says. It's not what I feel. It's what He says. It's not what I see. It's what He says. His Word is the final authority. And then it serves His purposes. Why? Because if we proclaim it, He performs it. And guess what? That doesn't just work in church. Remember, this is a microcosm of what's supposed to be happening in your life. What would happen if every day you started proclaiming what God says instead of what you see and what you feel and what the world says about you? If you'll proclaim it, God will perform it, and God will transform our hearts and our lives. Why do we go? Look at that last point here, next to the last point. Why do we go into all the world? And I hope you, have, I hope you don't miss this. We go into all the world to fulfill his mission. Matthew 28, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Why do we go to fulfill his mission? We go to bow. I want you, I want you to think about this. When you go into the world, because every time we leave here, every Sunday, every time we gather to worship and we leave, you're supposed to leave equipped, empowered to go. To go. To go and tell others what Jesus has done for you, to go and proclaim the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And when you go and tell, guess what happens? You bow to the commissioning and calling of God over our lives as Christians. Now think about this. What if you were a boss and you hired somebody to do a job and they didn't do the job you hired them to do? In the natural realm, we'd just fire that person, right? I hired you to do this job. You're not doing the job. You're fired. In the spiritual realm, God doesn't fire you. You know what God does? God grieves over you. There are so many Christians that are not fulfilling the call. They haven't bowed to the Great Commission. God has said, I've saved you, now go and tell somebody. I've delivered you, now go and tell somebody. I've healed you, now go and tell somebody. I've redeemed you, now go and tell somebody. Go and tell somebody. Go and tell somebody. Go and tell somebody. And when I go and tell, I bow to that commissioning. I bend to his will because I'm not going to go and tell what I want to tell. I'm going to go and tell who he is and what he has done. The Apostle Paul said we don't preach ourselves, but we preach Christ crucified and resurrected to the glory of God the Father. And as I do that, guess what? It serves his purposes. Because when you go and tell, guess what happens? People get saved. People get healed. People get delivered. People get set free. We've been commissioned. And as we go, we worship. Last point, here it is. Why do we worship? Because we want to bow in his presence. We want to bend his will. We want to serve his purpose. I hope this is drilled into your heart today. Our corporate worship services, this is huge, our corporate worship services reconnect and refocus us to a heart and life of worship. To a heart and life of worship. 
they reconnect and refocus us. Look at Psalm 73. Truly God is good to Israel, to those whose hearts are pure. Then look at verse 2. But as for me, I almost lost my footing, my feet were slipping, and I was almost gone. The Psalms has said this. He said, God is good. And then he says in the very next verse, but I almost lost my footing, my feet were slipping, and I was almost gone. And for the next 15 verses, you know what he does? He whines, complains, grumbles, and gripes about the prosperity of the wicked. And you know what? Most Christians are sickened by the wickedness of wicked people. But most Christians are frustrated and many times overwhelmed by the prosperity of the wicked. And here's what the Psalms has said. He said, God, I'm trying to live right, and bad things keep happening. God, I'm trying to live for you, and hard things come my way. God, I'm doing all I know to do, and nothing seems to be working. And then he looks over here, and he sees this wicked man. He doesn't love God. He doesn't serve God. Seems like he's prospering. Seems like he's healthy. Seems like he's happy. And all of a sudden, the psalmist, who was Asaph in this scripture, says, God's good, but I almost slipped. I almost fell. I almost was gone. But then look at verse 17. Look at this verse. I love it. He says, but then I went into the sanctuary of my God, and I finally understood. Why is it so important that we connect corporately? Why is corporate worship significant? Because the prosperity of the wicked... <laughs> will discourage you to such a degree that you'll think, God, I'm trying so hard, and they don't try at all. And God, I'm serving you with all my heart, and they're not serving you at all. And they seem so happy, and I, see, I seem so, so struggling and so, so weary. And if you're not careful, if you disconnect from corporate worship, your feet will begin to slip. You'll begin to slide. And before you know it, You'll be gone. You'll be gone. Maybe not in horrible sin, but you'll no longer be connected. You'll no longer be growing. You'll no longer be giving. And you'll be robbed of what God has for you. I want you just to bow your heads with me today. I want to say two things to you this morning. Number one, if you're interested today in being a part of of what makes our worship services our worship services. Then I want to ask you to stop by the information center today. Stephen and Jennifer are going to be out front. And I want you just to sign up. If you're interested in our worship team, interested in being a part of our prayer team, interested in being part of our media, our sound team, or interested in being part of our usher team, it's all of those five ministries that make what we do every Sunday work in this place. And if you want to be a part of that or you're interested in finding out more about it, just stop by the information center and there's a simple form you can sign. Second thing is I want to say if you're here today and you've never bowed and you've never bent and you've never served God's purposes with your life, you've never bowed your knee to Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you've never surrendered your will to Him, and you've never made a decision that says, God, from this day forward, I'm going to serve you and you alone. It's called salvation. God, I want to be saved. If that's you, I want you just to stand up right now. I want to accept Jesus Christ. I want to bow to Jesus. I want to bow to Him as my Lord and Savior. I want to give my will over to the will of God. 
and I want to spend the rest of my life serving God's purposes. If you've never done that, and today you want to surrender your life to Christ, He'll forgive you of your sins. He'll come into your heart and your life. He'll be your Lord and Savior. It's yours, but you got to take it. We're about to close. If you want to stand and pray to receive Christ, right now is your moment. Father, we thank you for your grace over us today. We thank you for 21 years of faithfulness, and we thank you for the pillar of worship. May what we've seen and heard today empower us to go out and live every day for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen and amen.